It's not Nito, it's Keto Smito. Keto Smito. That's right. Yeah. How did I how did I get that wrong? Because it's all about it's actually it's keto compliant. All right, so you know about this beer, but so you're gonna have for to people like, don't know. No, this is the, I, we called it Keto Schmido, and it's this new style of beer called Brute IPA. And little small backstory: I first had this style. In fact, the only time I've had it until I made this one was in San Francisco at Trailhead DX. I believe I'm now pronouncing that correctly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was at our our hotel bar or something. I can't remember where I was, but I just I saw some IPA in the menu. I'd, Hadn't had before, and no, it's okay. It however. couldn't have been the bar. The bar had like nothing. I know. It was, it was disappointing. It was somewhere else then. And I just it was, <clears> it was like an IPA. I was like, oh, I haven't, I haven't had that. I'll try it. Turns out it was, um, uh, what, what's the brewery called? Um, I can't remember now. Social Kitchen. Social Kitchen. Sorry. Let's get. Almost sounds like something that uh, 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 Salesforce would buy. Social Kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> it's called so- it has Social Men. Let's buy it. That's a good beer. <clears throat> Keith, go make um, it happen. <laughs> yeah, so I was offered it's, this last Friday at your house. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. That was a fun time. Well, I didn't, I didn't finish my story. So I, I ordered it and it took a sip of it, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is interesting." And then the, I think the bartender was like, "Oh, well, yeah, we'll explain it to you since you didn't know what it was." <clears throat> and so I'll <laughs> we'll it, educate. Yeah. You. So basically, it's a, it's it's I, you know. The, it's called Brute IPA. Whether or not it should be called an IPA is is a matter of I mean, it's like anything. Anything can be called an IPA now. Mm-hmm. They just we have beers that are couldn't be more different than each other, and they're both called IPAs. So I, I, I just classify IPAs by the flavor profile, the the hoppiness of it, the bitterness of it, which this does does not qualify in my my sense of that. Well, like some, like New England IPAs have almost no bitterness, and so yeah. they, so they wouldn't. I mean, I think people, there's an argument for them. I mean, that was the whole New England IPA was very controversial in terms of should it be, uh, you know, canonized as an, I, as, as an IPA or some type of IPA. Why not just chop it off and just New England pale ale? Well, I, I, that's what I would thought, actually. That, and in fact, a lot of people suggest that New England, New England ale or, yeah. you know, New England hoppy ale or something like that. Yeah. Um, call it whatever, but it's not, I mean, if you call it an IPA, you're just, you're continuing to make that term pretty meaningless. I think it already is. It it kind of is, but you know, but if someone says, "Oh, I, you know, I kind of like West Coast IPAs," or "I kind of like New England IPAs," or "I kind of like um, English IPAs," I mean, those all carry some kind of meaning. I mean, if you if you at least give it that that uh, you know, yeah, but they're gonna people they're gonna be people out there who say I don't like IPAs, but they might like something like this because it's lighter, true. fresher, not yeah. as bitter, hoppy. Well, and a lot of people that have never liked IPAs like New England IPAs mm-hmm. because they're not done correctly. They're not they're not very bitter. All right, they're just you know kind of fruit bombs usually. But anyway, back to the brute IPA. It's called brute because you know it's a, I think a play on like brute champagne. I guess brute means dry, right? So brute champagnes are usually pretty darn dry, although they're not the driest. You have like extra brute something else because brute brute champagne can have a certain amount of residual sugar in it due to the mm-hmm. dosage process mm-hmm. where they kind of back sweeten it to, <clears throat> well, a couple of reasons to provide some, something that uh, the yeast can use to carbonate the beer or the, sorry, the wine. Um, but also because sometimes from, particularly from the champagne region, especially if it's not a great vintage, uh, the grapes can be, the grape juice can be really acidic. And so a little bit 
more sweetener. That's part of the, another purpose of the dosage, just to just to have a little bit of sweetness to balance that acidity. Mm-hmm. But in general, you know, it's pretty dry. I think they can have technically up to twelve grams per liter of sugar, but I think most of them are probably five or under. Anyway, uh, that being said, this is these, the style brute IPA. Basically, just means it's super dry. So it's it's much drier than any normal beer, even a well attenuated session beer or like a something like a Michelob Ultra or whatever, which are going to be because they go for like the real low carb thing mm-hmm. um, in those beers. Um, this is even less than that, and the reason is because barley barley itself does not contain enough of the right enzymes to completely convert all its starches down into simple sugars. They're still going to be like say ten percent. I'm just making a number of of the sugars that are left over, they're actually still in a more complex form like dextrins or something that the yeast can't eat. And so those remain in the beer that you drink and they provide body and some some sweetness, but also, you know, they're carbohydrates, so they affect your your blood sugar and your insulin response and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. The way you make a brood IPA is you add you add extra enzymes that that uh, break down all those remaining dextrins into Simple sugars, and in fact, I think it even takes things like maltose and sucrose and fructose and and maltotriose and all those things, and breaks those down into glucose. So I think you basically, uh, and it, as long as it has time before the yeast eat, like because yeast, yeast can eat maltose and fructose and sucrose and things like that, you know, the, all the disaccharides usually. Um, but that yeah, this enzyme, if the if the enzyme gets to it before the yeast, the enzyme will break all the down into glucose. Anyway, so what you end up with is is a is a sugar profile in the un fermented beer that is completely fermentable by the yeast. So the yeast eat all the sugar, and what you're left with is a zero sugar, zero carb, if it, if it does ferment out all the way, which wasn't to finish it like less than less than zero Plato, right? It's like .997 specific gravity. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's completely fermented. There's basically no, this is sh- basically sugar-free, carb-free beer. But you have to reset your expectations of what you think beer is, what it feels like, because it does not feel like a normal beer. It definitely feels like like a champagne kind of in a way. It's yeah, it bubbly, does. but it's also they got that lightness of wine. Mm-hmm. And it's all it's seven and a half percent, which is not I mean, most champagnes are gonna be at least ten percent. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have quite as much alcohol because alcohol, people don't realize, adds a lot of body and also like a perception of sweetness. Um so if you don't have as much alcohol, then the body is gonna be different and it's gonna you're gonna have a little bit less sweetness. But this <coughs> is this is better than it was. I kegged this a week ago. Mm-hmm. And this it's gotten actually a lot. But it was when I first kegged it. In fact, at my house on Friday when we were trying it, it was still fairly grassy because it's, it's it's pretty aggressively hopped. I mean, it's about a half a pound of hops for this five gallon batch, which is like if you're a brewer, like three gallon three pounds per barrel of hops. So it's pretty aggressively hopped. In fact, I think if I do the style again, I'm gonna I want to cut the amount of hops in half probably, just because I don't I don't think it needs it. I almost think mm-hmm. it's a little bit wasted because there again, there's no bitterness in this beer to counterbalance anything and there's no there's no malt there's no malt ba- backbone whatsoever to counterbalance the hops you just don't need as much i think mm. i also want to try some different hops but it's um, no i think it's i think it's drinking pretty good right now yeah no it's good i like it and for all these people that are on keto or low carb or atkins or whatever it's uh, it's totally compliant which is you know i've got friends that are on keto and they're excited about this beer <laughs> Oh, welcome to uh, Beer Talk. <laughs> our new podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, our new show. We, we're just re, going to rebrand the show. Do we got those new shirts printed up yet? Well, it's the same name. We're just going to talk about beer okay. now. That's, oh, that's why we. That's why we did a generic name. Right. That's true. 
can't transition that's, from that's the Salesforce podcast to so I'm not talk about the, beer. the cloud cast or the force cast or the what you know whatever <laughs> right yeah that would be why well john um i was actually went searching today because i wanted to find actually as I, I just was looking around i'm like god i, I don't have anything to talk about usually usually throughout the week like after we record mm-hmm. like i'll start a new evernote and i'll just start dumping stuff in there that i think might be things we want to talk about on the next week's show yeah and I, don't, I haven't been, like, overly busy, I, I don't think. Maybe I have. I don't know. But I just, like, nothing's really popped in my head, or I haven't read anything that's like, oh, I, John and I should talk about that on the next show. I just, nothing's really come up. So t- this morning I'm thinking, hmm, I don't really have much. And I was like, well, what, what release is coming up? It's winter 19. And I feel, people are talking about that. That's coming up soon, right? I guess. And so I looked, and the, the preview starts se- September 7th, which is what, a couple weeks, or two or three weeks, three weeks, I guess. And... I thought, oh, cool! I'll go look at the release notes because they've already got the, all the sandbox preview plans. That, that that instruction they have to do every time, which is ridiculous. Um, but there's no, I can't find any release notes. People are already signed up for pre-release orgs and all that, but there's no. It, uh, is it just me because I couldn't find them, or are there no release notes yet? I haven't tried to look for them. Okay. So it's coming up, but uh, it's a mystery. I really. I mean, Dream, I don't think there's going to be anything because Dreamforce is coming up, and they're probably going to want to announce a bunch of stuff, and then then they'll put it in the release. Oh, it, the release notes have to come out before Dreamforce, because well, because the the sandbox has come out before Dreamforce, right? Do when they? is Dreamforce? September, isn't it? Yeah, but it's later. It's after it's after, after September seventh. Oh well, maybe. Let's see. Maybe they accidentally leaked something they want to keep a secret. I think those days are gone, by the way. Well, they don't. Oh, here we go. September 25th. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be out before then. Hmm. Anyway. Okay. Well, so we won't talk about Winter 19 because we have no idea what's in it. What are you, are you, is there anything you're hoping for? Uh, my expectations have been severely lowered. Now, what, t- <laughs> what type are you? Are you the type that you never re- re- read the re- release notes you just kind of like once 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 the new release is out, rolled out to all production orgs you're like well i guess i should look and see if i see anything new or are you the type that like as soon as they're available you like you download them and like you go home and read them that night the whole thing or are you somewhere in between where you're just like yeah i'll read them when i can i've evolved so i started out actively seeking them out reading them you know just trying to figure out what i could do with any new feature that came out and then over the last few years, I've gotten to the point where I don't care. Um, I'll look at them when I get a chance, or when we need to talk about them for the podcast. <laughs> the podcast is probably the one good one good thing I have going for me because it does keep it does force me to kind of keep my thumb on things. Because right now mm. I'm just so focused on everything else in my life yeah. that it's tough for me to say, "Oh, I'm going to carve out an hour to talk to learn some Salesforce stuff." So, as someone who's, uh, I guess, nominally a Salesforce professional, I feel like I should, you know. Pretty soon after they come out, you know, d- read through the release notes. So I, I, I know what's coming so I can, I mean, because if I don't, I mean, you've got, if you're the type that you don't even, you don't even ever read them, you're just like, oh, whatever, I'll figure out, you know, I'll see the features when they come out. You've got people that are on the far other end of the spectrum, like they work for partners because some of these partners get release notes like way before other people do. Yeah. And so they're able to tell their clients things and help their clients plan in ways that you're not. But you're not supposed to. Until it's officially released and in production, you're not supposed to rely on those features. You're not supposed to even think about those features because they could change them. They could, right. they could pull them. So that's the, you're right, until it's, until it, it's you know, published and they say this is for sure happening. And also, the, the release notes don't give you enough information. They tell you about a feature that's coming out and until you use it and go, oh, 
that's what they meant by that. Yep. Or, oh, that's, that's the limitation they stuck on yeah, it. Yeah. You know, it, I, I just got to the point where I don't get that excited about them until I can physically use them. Yep. Uh, because of that reason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you always, that's always the asterisk, uh, you know, with, with features that actually aren't shipped yet is, I mean, this may not happen. Um, they, they pulled stuff, I mean, that, I think that every, all the time, they, I think they pull stuff that was, that was in the release notes. But I'm actually less concerned about things that get pulled from the release and more concerned with just features just not working the way they're supposed to or not knowing if it's, if it's a feature that's ready yet type situation. Right, because we, you really can't have any confidence that when it, just because a feature ships, that it, that it works the way it's supposed to, that it's not buggy, yeah. that it, yeah. Plus, yeah. On, the, on the other side of it, a lot of the new features are very focused on rebranding something that used to be in Classic into Lightning. So there's a ton of, just a ton of data to kind of filter through and go, okay, yeah, you made that Lightning now. Okay, I know what that is. And then there's another part of it that's just like, that's pure config. and the developer section's got a bunch of stuff, but it's like, oh, we have this new object now to support this other feature. And I'm like, okay, well, where's yeah. the new dev stuff? But it, it, because, because I'm kind of lax about it, I do miss things. So that's why it's kind of nice to, that there's others who are willing to put the effort in because I'll, I'll ask a question like, what's going on here? And they'll be yeah. like, oh, that was, this release was that, when that happened type situation. I feel like the, um, I feel like the, uh, like someone like the, uh, what what's um, Matt Lacey and Stephen Heron's podcast called? Cloud something? Code coverage? Code coverage. I feel like they should, we should nominate them to be the people that read the release notes early and then they re record a podcast and tell us all the things we need to know. I mean, that's something that like we, like we should do, except that we don't really read release notes. So I, I feel like we should nominate them. That way we'd at least get, like we should nominate them to do that it. That way we at least, we'd at least get three code coverage episodes, at least. Exactly. No, that's another <laughs> way of like, and it's, it's kind of on the release schedule anyway. You know, a few year maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, might, might line up really well with their schedule. We're just poking fun. We love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, you know, and the way I read release notes is when I do, and I'm not very good at it. Uh, it totally depends on like how busy I am, really. I think I used to study them to to put a term around it. Is I used to study them. What, now I just kind of I kind of skim it until I see something a, interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of times I'll I'll skim through like the the normal features, the config features, the admin features, those kind of things because those are valuable to know. Mm -hmm. You know, some you know they change how sharing rules work or something like that. But I'll skim it until I see something interesting or something that that I think might help a client that I'm working with right now. That type of thing, but. I don't study them like I used to. Yeah, and that's what I'll <clears throat> that's what I'll do. Is I, I'll download them and then I'll, I'll I just go right to the developer sections and I think I'm just old and I kind of cross my fingers. I'm just old and hope that I'm going to find something that makes my life better. Namespaces. Do you do you, do you do like open <laughs> it up I, and do a keyword search for namespace, yeah. or you just have like a macro that says look for namespaces? Well, suffice to say, I, I feel like I have PTSD from being disappointed. So many times by release notes. Yeah, Stockholm syndrome. It's like, oh, we have this new drag and drop workflow editor. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, well, so I do have a couple of just like little newsy things. I know you've got some more other content. Should I, you know, knock? I want to do the community stuff news? first because I don't okay. want to get to the point where we don't do community stuff. No, that's that's true. Okay, so well, let's do that. Let's do that. By community stuff, you mean the like uh, feedback we got through Slack or email or something like that. Is that what you mm -hmm. mean? Okay. Topics from the community, community. input. Community input. 
or shout outs because this first one's going to be a shout out. Okay. Uh, this one's to Brett Nelson. Well, let's and let's just preface this this uh, what do you call it segment segment uh, since we don't run ads. Let's preface it with how this works. How do we how this community input thing works? Oh, we do self ads. We yes, do our, we advertise on our they're own called, show. They're called house ads. Oh, yes. there you go. House yeah. ads. So we're doing a house ad. If you would like to participate in the community input portion of the Good Day Sir show, how would you do that, John? Oh, you just email us at info at goodaysirpodcast.com. That's one Or way. you can go to our, our, you can join our Slack community. How right. about that? Yeah, yeah. That works. Two, two ads and yeah. it's, a, it's a twofer. It's a twofer. Yeah. <laughs> you can sign up by going to our website, www.gooddaysirpodcast.com forward slash community, or just click on community, enter your email address that comes to me. I'll add you into the community manually. It's okay to lurk. And you can DM us, or you can post questions directly to the community. Now, do you have to enter the www, or as you say, www? www? Yeah. Don't I use two w? No, I always say two, two w's? It's always two, every time. Because it's the wide web, not the world wide web. Right? Uh, yeah, sure, whatever. Or maybe it's just the world web. Maybe it's not very wide anymore. I don't know. Anyway. Um, I did not realize I always do two W's. Yeah, and but. what's the policy? So, if, like, let's say someone wants to send some info in, and they're like, "Yeah, I really don't want you to use my name," or like, whatever, you know. So, I, I'll say what our policy is. By default, we will not use your name. You have to explicitly give us permission mm-hmm. in in your communication to us, or we will not use it, unless you post it to the public forum. Then that's true. If you post it in the public in the Slack, then yeah, we will. But any emails that come to us, unless you say we can use your name, we will not. Yep, we will keep. So it that being said, is it is this our first? Uh, <clears throat> Topic here, our first community input. Is this um, is this a uh, an anonymous? No. Okay. No, he doesn't even know I'm doing this. Did they? Did this person give us explicit <laughs> permission? No, he just posted. He posted it publicly, so I'm using it. Okay. I guess that's also a disclaimer in the in the Slack. If you if you're posting publicly in there, we if we want to talk about it, we might talk about it. Mm. All right. I mean, it seems fair enough, right? I mean, you posted it in public, like you obviously are not wanting to remain non- anonymous. You de-anonymized yourself by posting it publicly. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if we should say that precedence. 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 How much was in this beer? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, that's something. I wonder, because it doesn't have <clears throat> any sugar or anything, dextrins at all. Does it, is I, that the beer or is it, that just the room? It's not the beer. It's not, because it's not hot in here. It's 70.7 degrees. Jeez. Um, but now I don't know what that is in Celsius or centigrade. Sorry, non-Americans. Uh <laughs> I think it gets to you faster. Okay, two reasons. Three reasons. Two reasons, I guess. There's nothing to slow it down in terms of carbohydrates. No. And it's I I carbonate this like it's champagne. It's it's like there's probably like three to four volumes of CO two, mm. which is almost double what a normal beer would be. So just to make it more champagne like. No, oh, maybe so it's maybe think, it's, maybe it's yeah, just hitting faster. I think it does. I think it does. That is a really good beer then. <laughs> Low carb and gets to you faster. Yep. Uh, so yeah, th- th- uh, so Brett Nelson posted on our Slack channel that he's hosting a lunch and learn uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. So if you listen Ooh. to this today, when we post, yeah. you might still have a chance of of getting a seat. He's he's uh, <laughs> doing his lunch and learn at twelve o'clock Central Time tomorrow. He'll be doing his topic on. Uh, that's the win. That's the progressive- six, August sixteenth. Thursday, yeah. August sixteenth, yeah, at noon central. Noon right? central, yeah. Okay, so he'll be doing his. Uh, I believe it's the same topic he did at Texas Dreaming. So um, if you didn't get to see that, this would be a good way to see it on progressive web apps. Yeah, and he's. I mean, he's uh, 
God, you know, seems like kind of a master of these things because he he knows. I feel like he knows every. He's got experience with every you know, kind of modern single page application framework there is. Well, he did build the, and build he teaches, the, the good day, sir. Uh, soundboard. That's true. How do you get to that, John? Google. I don't know. It? I think you. Google I think it. you Google it. Yes, <laughs> um, soundboard. Let's see if that works. Uh, no, that doesn't work. Yeah, I'll have to that, find the link, day, sir. Yeah. But uh, no, and he, you know, he, I think he's a regular, you know, conference talk kind of guy. So I think he's good at teaching this stuff too. So that's probably a good, yeah, I, I should tweet that out or something. Hopefully this will be something where he, I think if, you know, think if he gets some turnout, turnout, he'll keep doing them. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of the, like, I'd never heard of lunch and learns until you made us do it. Oh, well, yeah. they didn't make us do it, but you brought it up to yeah. us mm-hmm. like back in the day and, those were good days. Yeah. We'd, we'd bring in lunch and we'd we'd uh, lean on companies like Google and everyone else who brought in like really smart people to talk and then they'd post those videos online and we'd just sit there and watch those yeah, videos. Yeah, sometimes we'd just watch a video or we'd um, or someone would demo something or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, that was a, that's good, I guess. I, I, I don't know. I think that's one of, as with almost anything with good intentions, you can have certain managers will abuse them, like, you know, co-opting people's lunchtime, like their one hour, <clears throat> the one hour they get during the day that's like a break, like you mm-hmm. don't get that break anymore. Yeah. So you have to be really careful on those kind of things, but. Yeah, but I think the way we did it was, was good. I, I mean, guess. We, we, I mean, we I don't to... know. I could have been pissing off one of the other guys or something and not, not even knowing it. Oh, maybe. I enjoyed like, it. Like, oh, taking my lunchtime, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone seemed to participate because we'd always, it was always kind of an open call for, for stuff. Was it open? Yeah. Okay. It wasn't like you were dictating what we had to watch. You just, right. We would just all kind of say, I found this or let's watch this or something like that. So, yep. so anyways, check that out. If you hear this in time, uh, Brett, next time, give me some advance notice and I'll, I'll Well, he started it. posting a while back about it, I oh. think. Well, maybe I missed ago. it. Maybe I missed it. I don't know if it would have been in time for our previous episode though. No, that's true. Uh, so let's talk about Dreamforce really quick. Uh, looks like we probably will have a presence at Dreamforce. It won't be us, but uh, the GDS happy hour will continue. Um, so we'll be getting details on that. Just stand by for that. Yeah, that's, these are usually run by our, our Lieutenant Jay yep. Janarthanen. Is he Lieutenant? Has he graduated General yet? Or? Uh, no, I don't, I don't no. know. I don't know if he can. I think you and I are Generals. I'm a five-star. You're a four-star. I thought it was, <laughs> was Commander-in-Chief. Oh, that's me. Yeah, that's right. You're, you're, the, you're my vice president. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll, we'll start getting some more details around that. We'll start figuring out a place. Um, Monk's Kettle seems to be the tradition, um, but we'll see if there's another place in mind. And then, um, yeah, I'll try, to, I'll try to send out some swag. The thing about Dreamforce is like, it may be better to plan something that's, I mean, I hate to say because because everyone would have to Uber, but something that's like far away from that whole... Um, what do you call it? What's that area called? Not Union Center. Um, Moscone? Yeah, it's that, that area. What's that neighborhood called? That's really just Soma, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't I mean, know. It's just Soma. Um, yeah, but anything within walking distance from there is going to be, forget it. Forget about it. Yeah, so, that's true. But anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll give updates and I'm sure there'll be some discussions in the conversations channel in our Slack. Oh, that's right, yeah. Way to tie that Now, in. are you for sure not going to Dreamforce? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm for sure not going also. I mean, it feels like it also snuck up really quick on me this year. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I just was never planning on going. I don't, yeah. It would it would take someone like grabbing me by the hair and dragging me there to go to Dreamforce yeah. again. I mean, again, if I, you know, if you, 
if you were, I mean, if you were getting paid to go, why, why not go, right? Because there's no reason to go. Okay. It's salespeople to send on salespeople, like you said. Yeah. I, it, I don't you enjoy the, it. You could go to the Good Day Sir meetup there. That, that would be expensive yeah. to just go to a meetup. <laughs> I'm just saying that's one thing you could do, but anyway. I know. I mean, I could try to justify it a lot of different ways, but I just, I don't enjoy that conference at all. Yeah. Um, TDX guess. was nice because it was small. It reminded me of the early days of Dreamforce yeah. when it was, wasn't that big and there was a lot of information, valuable information, not just a bunch of people trying to sell me something. Um, so I, I like that conference. So if, if I do go back, if I do end up going to a conference next year, which is pretty iffy right now, it might be that. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Stay tuned for that. All right. Next topic. Uh, this one's anonymous. Uh, and this one. I can see why this is anonymous. Salesforce has started issuing notices. They're starting to send out emails to, to uh, orgs or instances or, yeah, I guess you can call it orgs, where they feel you should be on Lightning. Yeah. So they, I guess they're running their kind of Lightning readiness tool or something, and they have some kind of stats that says, you know what, the features they're using, you, should, you can go to Lightning. And so they're basically forcing those people who can be on Lightning into Lightning right. for them. And I've, I've seen the thing where they're... What, what, and I, what, what's happening when, because people are saying that, you know, they'll log in and, and Salesforce has moved them to Lightning. What is that? I haven't seen, I think there was, there was an issue where that was happening, but there's, there's an issue right now where Salesforce is actively bypassing the admin and advertising to users to directly. Users. And it says, basically, pressure your admin. Yes. Yes. It's wrong, in my opinion. <laughs> that is wrong. And I mean... I mean, I understand they, I mean, they're right now they're supporting two different applications. They're supporting Classic and they're supporting Lightning and they really need to get everyone on Lightning. But they also said that, don't worry, we're going to have Classic around forever. I didn't say forever. They use those terms, but for, what did they say specifically? I don't, what, I don't because, remember them you know, saying remember that. Because, okay, so if you remember when Lightning was announced, lots and lots of concerns from people who are like, hey, we're, you know, I can tell you right now, we're not going to be able to do this for a while what's the deal? Like, how long is Classic going to be here? How long is our Visual Force going to be here, right? All these things. And Salesforce made all kinds of statements to assuage people's concerns. Yeah. What were those statements? Specifically, what did they say? I don't, I don't remember the statements exactly, but I, I mean, they how did say Salesforce that... Salesforce get away with having no quantifiable guarantees of any kind? No SLA, no, this is not going to go away for this, this number of years or months, none of that. How did they get away with that? Well, it's cloud. How are they the most trusted? Cloud. How are they the most trusted cloud computing company? Because it's in the cloud. It's not your computer. But they, they like it's it's so squishy. Like you don't basically don't know anything. And if you you know, I mean, basically the only thing you can count on is log in right now. And what do you see? Okay, you can count on that for now. But that's pretty <laughs> much it. Yeah, I mean, there's two sides of the story, and I think I I can how do you see plan around this. You can't. <laughs> I mean, what do you? You know, if when you're like, let's say you are, a, let's say you're a big Fortune 500 company, you've got you know millions of dollars of invested in your, in your classic and visual force and everything, and like it's just, it's not gonna, it's not happening right now. I mean, what do you tell your boss when you're like, when the boss says, well, ha- are we gonna, are we gonna get cut off? When do we have to, when do we have to move to Lightning? Because we need to plan for that. What do you, what's the, what's the answer? Well. Because so, so right now what it seems like, well, Salesforce hasn't given us a drop-dead date. No, because there isn't. Because they're, they, they're not doing this to their but enterprise are they keep, Are they going to harass my users? I didn't expect that, and now I'm getting well, that. Yeah. I mean, and what, I'm, what's next? I mean, it's just, and I'm not, I don't think this is that big of a deal. I'm not sure who that pop-up is showing up for. I don't know if it's only showing up for orgs that they think should be on Lightning, and it's not showing up for 
well, the, say the 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 big the, guy, the big enterprise. I saw it looked like it with the note that notification. It mm-hmm. looked like it was that was in Lightning. No, it is okay. So what what was the what were they what was it saying to talk to your admin about? It, it was just a pop up. It was just a automatic pop up. But it was in pop- Lightning. It, it like, doesn't matter. The user was already in Lightning, and it was saying talk to your admin about something. No, about the, the pop up is well, maybe they were, but the pop up is styled to look like Lightning first of all, and <laughs> talk to your admin about this pop up. The rest of your app could look like this pop-up looks. <laughs> it's like one little lightning thing dropped in. Would yeah. that be called, uh, would that be lightning out, I guess? Or lightning in? Leaning in. Lean, okay. Lean right. into lightning, yeah. people. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's, it's definitely not a, it's definitely a force. There is a way to delay it. They, they are providing a link to a form where you can delay it. But before you get to the form, you have to look at all these Things where it says, "Are you sure this and that? This is this is what it can do for so you." So there's this a form that. you can fill out, a, a lead gen form you can fill out to, well, it's to not say, lead "Please gen. don't harass my users. Please don't shame me to no, my boss." It, nope, nope, okay, nope. There's no out. You still you still get all that. It's just if you want to delay the automatic, because what happens is when you get this notice. So if you're in an org that Salesforce thinks should be on Lightning, you'll get a notice, and it says, "In 21 days, we're turning Lightning on for you and all your users," and you have one option. Of recourse, which is to delay it. Well, I guess you have two. You could always cancel wow. your license. <laughs> so, if, like, say you're on vacation, you don't get that message. You just your users log in one day and they they're in Lightning and yeah. a completely unconfigured Lightning. Well, you'd have to be on a untested. You'd have un- to be on a wait, twenty-one wait, wait. day Hang vacation. On. But on. yeah, you're saying that they're going to get an untested, unvalidated, un- non-configured Lightning that just automatically flips on. If you the way you're presenting if you, if you that, don't, yes. If you don't take actions as an administrator to like, <laughs> yes. If you don't take wow, actions, it's, see, it's going to happen. And your action and your action may not be approved. There's no guarantee that if you apply to delay, that they'll delay it. Um, so you go to the screen, I, I you go to this delay. Don't, I don't believe this. I'm on the delay your auto <laughs> transition screen right now. Wait a minute, auto transition. Yes, that's what they're calling it. The auto transition to lightning. There's there an should F- be no such thing as auto-transition. Look, look, they've got marketing built around this and everything. Look, admin, auto-transition to lightning experience. You got a little Astro character there, all this nice PDF stuff. Wow. This is real. This is happening. See, I think... This oh, isn't just some... How is auto-transition? How is this not like a scandal? This is, this is a new world in cloud, and you just, you're always on the newest release. What, what can Salesforce not get away with? What, are they, what, what would cause... <laughs> What would actually cause them a problem? Well, right now, they're, like I said, they're being selective besides, about who gets this notice. donating money to the wrong group, border group or whatever it was. I, I guess, I guess. But they're being selective about who gets these notices. So not everyone got these notices. It's only orgs where they feel they can be enlightening and should be enlightening that they're, they're doing this to. What does, do you think it does a search for JavaScript embedded in page uh, layout section labels? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but I do remember a conversation that um, at one of the, I guess it was maybe it was an MVP summit, but... Um, they did talk about. Oh, you still doing the MVP thing? Still in that group? Mm-hmm. Okay. For now, I don't know. I think I, my renewal. Yeah, and I remember you got renewed. I just didn't know how long ago that was. I don't know. You, you don't ever talk about it. You don't. You're not really active in it, right? It's kind of changed. I don't. I don't know that there's anything to be active. I don't know. I, people are active in their own ways. Like this is my way of being active in the community. Is this podcast? But some people are are active in different ways. They they do these conferences and they do these talks or they go to the. The genius bars, whatever the Salesforce calls those things, and they help people. Um, some people do YouTube stuff. I don't know. People yeah. have their own way of, yeah. of contributing. Okay. Sorry to, sorry to uh, deter you there. 
<laughs> What's I talking about? I just I, I just completely forgot that you because some people are like you know you, they don't ever let you forget they're an MVP and like then you got the opposite like you like I, I actually forgot you were an MVP I was like oh yeah I forgot you're still in that yeah yeah I'm not one of those people that yeah. that wear it on my shoulder I don't know or my sleeve is that the expression uh, yeah yeah wear it on my sleeve. sleeve I mean your sleeve is kind I of could. on your shoulder so. I, I have an MVP pin so I could literally wear it on my sleeve I guess if you're wearing a tank top you'd you'd have to wear it on your shoulder oh yeah <laughs> that hurt. But I could. Yeah, because you have to tattoo it, right? It's fake tattoos. Does anyone have a, a Salesforce tattoo that we know of? I hope not. That would be weird. I saw um, from the Cowboys training camp, someone has a Dak Prescott signature that they got tattooed on their arm. That's weird. I know. People are crazy. They are crazy. All right. At least it's not a face tat. Yeah. That's, that's even worse. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, I, I remember at one of those... I think it was a summit or something and they were they were kind of being honest about, you know, lightning and how many people are on it and they kind of said it, it kind of makes sense, you know, for for a lot of us that are heavy in the community and do a lot of development and work for big enterprise, we're probably like the top 5% of Salesforce users. There's there's like the rest of the 80% are using basic Salesforce features. They aren't trying to heavily customize it. They're just going with the flow of things. They're using what's there. So for them, a transition is is pretty simple and easy. And I think those are the people that Salesforce is trying to, to get right now to switch over. And a lot of, for a lot of these people, they don't want to change. <laughs> and even though they could go to Lightning, they just don't see the reason to. And so I guess this is Salesforce's way of saying, just go to Lightning. Yeah, I, this, I think the auto transition, that's crazy. It's crazy talk. What's a new world? <clears throat> All right. Yep. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing that's happening. I can't say that I'm really surprised, but it, it seems like a, a step too far. But mm. well, let's move on from that. Okay. Uh, this one is from a uh, member of the community, friend of the community, friend of the show, uh, Craig Don Isthorpe, as I like to pronounce it. Yep. I like I like to have phone people's names. Uh, he he has a topic for us. Uh, he says, as someone who started out with Salesforce about six years ago and never had seen it before or had any real experience with the technology and ecosystem. Um, that Salesforce opens up to you. Uh, I now run an internal systems department with developers, admins, and multiple systems with my role. Uh, this has been a bit of a how the bloody hell did this happen experience when I look back on this. Uh, so my question is really, uh, have, you, have either of you had a similar experience to this or did either of you plan to end up in the type of roles you have or was it just a happy accident? I don't know if happy accident is the word. Uh, no, I did not plan to be a Salesforce developer. Um, actually, I wasn't planning on being a developer anymore when Jeremy picked me up out of my out of my gutter or whatever I was in. Yeah, and kind of. Hopefully, I wasn't too. It's Jeremy's fault. You. I'm here, yeah. but because yeah, you decided you had written off, I'd written off development. Yeah, yeah, completely. <clears throat> yeah, just so weird to think back to that. Well, it's, yeah, it seems strange. I was working for another company at the time after I'd given up development. I was working in tech support. <laughs> Is that what it was? It was for the media for the media company. Yeah, it's was, it was for a media company, and uh, I did tr uh, support for um, computer-based learning. Um, so all it? these little CDs that like EMTs and oil rig workers that have to maintain their like OSHA certifications and things. And so when they couldn't get the CDs to work, they would call this help desk, and I was on the help desk. Hmm. Uh, so I that's what I was doing <laughs> when uh, Jeremy said, "Hey, I got some work. You want to do a little side work for me?" Hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I think most people, when they look at their, at least people who have been working for a while, 
or old enough to have been work for a while. You know, you kind of look back and you're like, oh, wow, that's weird. I would have never thought that I would have met that person and that I would have, this opportunity would have come up. Like you never would have guessed those things would have happened. Yeah. In fact, my, my whole trajectory to being a developer was an accident. Yeah. It was because I sucked at selling. No, you were, you were using uh, Microsoft Access and you accidentally clicked on the, on the VB, edit some VB button. No, <laughs> my first app was in uh, Excel. Excel, that's the same thing. <laughs> But no, I sucked at selling and I knew how to, I knew how to, I knew some coding cause I messed around with it, you know, just cause I was interested at, at a younger age and I got to the, I couldn't sell. I went from like customer service to selling cause I was trying to go to school and I need the, I need to like a night job. Mm-hmm. And so I got a job at a computer sales company <clears throat> call center thing at night. Were you doing, was it inbound sales? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So people called you wanting to buy stuff. Yeah. All right. And I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I, 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 I've, I know I've said this before, but I sold someone a compact desktop as a server. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. I guess. I just didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. At least it wasn't an e-machine. It could have been a Packard Bell. Yeah. Uh, those were big, weren't they? <laughs> Packard Bell. Uh, all those. It sounds like a phone company. Yeah. I remember when Toshiba was was the was the the Fitbit. Yeah, because they made good. Those were like five, six thousand dollar notebooks. The and laptops. They were yeah. in like our main yeah. like distribution warehouse, and they were secured and under lock and key. And it was tough to get those. Yep, a lot of phone calls to get those. But yeah. Mm. Anyways, um, yeah, that's when I I started writing tools for myself because I couldn't I I didn't like because back then we had this like fold out like Rolodex looking thing of all specs, and it was just you either went to someone to to a product. A, a company's website and you print out the specs or they would come by and buy you lunch and give you a, a bunch of flyers. And so we all had our little things and I just wasn't good at that. And so I started writing my own tools and then customers wanted like estimates. And so I built like these macros and things that would like take these things and create like comparison macros and automatically generate it. And I could just print it or fax it and send it. Um, so that's when I started. That's when I thought, oh, I could do this professionally. As I started doing that more and more. Yeah. What's your fax number? Let me fax you this spec sheet. <laughs> I think I was emailing, but I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, so no, I never, I never really thought about it. My, I was going to school to what I thought was going to be a pediatrician. Like all through high school, I did like vocational um, classes. I spent like a, a year with a doctor. And decided not to go to med school? I didn't know how to pay for med school. Yeah. <laughs> I was working to try to pay for it. I was doing like community college stuff. And then, um, I don't know, just the, the whole web internet thing happened. Look at that head. Damn. Well, you poured it poorly. I know. Um, the whole internet thing and people were offering me money. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm poor. Yeah, uh, I'll take that money. Yep. <laughs> I'll take that job. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I put my college process on hold for almost 10 years. Yeah. I never finished mine, <laughs> my process. Yeah. But, um, oh, I think it's a common story. <laughs> I think, I think, I don't know that anyone really ends up where they plan to end up. I mean, you have a lot of people with degrees in like archaeology or some, some weird kind of specialty. And then they're, they're like, they're, they're in the Salesforce ecosystem. Yeah. I see a lot of that. I see a lot of people that start out with one path in life, but ended up here or ended up somewhere else. It's just. It's just the way life happens. The way it works. We yeah. can't. We can't plan our futures. Yeah, I mean, and 
I think some companies ask themselves, how in the hell do we get mixed up in the Salesforce thing? And, and you know, it's kind of through the side door. It's through that sales and marketing side door. Um, the hell is this? Well, why don't you read to us what that is? It's a collaboration, right, between other half and Trillium, two uh, of the darlings of the whatever. Other half nerd beer and Trillium, possibly mm -hmm. of interest is what it's called. Yeah. It's a Pilsner. Yep. But it has this odd flavor. But isn't that funny that a collab between other half and Trillium would be a Pilsner? See, Pilsner is now the new nerdy beer. I've noticed which that. Which is like, it's almost like ironic. I've noticed. It's, it's when I started getting into making lagers like a little while back, I'm just like, I don't know. I really, turns out I really like some of these lagers and I want to make them. <laughs> I like them and I want them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, a lot of this, you know, I think a lot of companies, it's like, and they, they, you know, you had some little department manager <clears throat> or like a, or a sales or a marketing manager that decides to buy Salesforce because you don't have to, <clears throat> you don't require any servers to put it on. So you don't have to talk, you don't even have to talk to your IT guy. Yeah. Or the yeah. CIO or anyone, you know, so you just do it yourself. And that's kind of how they, looking back, it's a good strategy. It's kind of sneaky. And then it got to the point that Salesforce got big enough that CIOs were like, they really just, I feel like CIOs hit their kind of effort moment mm -hmm. when they're like, yeah. Because I think for a while they they saw it as an encroachment on their territory, you know, like a, a threat, yeah. because you you didn't have to go through their department to to host or run your this application you're using. But after well, a while, a sense just, of a loss of control too. Exactly, so, yeah. Your data is not on your servers, right? That too. And I think, but I think at some point though, Salesforce at least hit some kind of like critical mass or you know, a reputation, or they hit that right the certain quadrant, you know, the correct quadrant, mm -hmm. the the magic quadrant, which is uh, the ultimate truth. Of course, as we know, that, uh, you know, I see, I was like, you know what? I don't have to, it's not, it's your decision. It's, I don't have to host it. I'm not responsible for it. It's not going to blow back on me. So go ahead. That's fine. It's, it's actually easier for you to do that than me to host and be responsible for some crappy tool for your salespeople to use. Well, the, I mean, then the other thing is it, it's a month. It's, it, well, if you're talking just base install, it's a, it's a week if, if that to get set up. Versus IT having to find time, first of all. Send somebody to get set up, on it. To set up, well, <laughs> yep. if we're just talking like homegrown stuff, there, there's that oh, yeah. that takes years of development. And then if you buy something, you have to get someone to train on it, but then you have to get the server, acquire the servers and the space and set it up and the network and the security. And that takes months. Yeah, and then if you want to use it from anywhere but the office, you got to get the VPN set up. <laughs> and then you've got Salesforce that says, uh, yeah, what's your credit card number? And uh, yep. there you go. Right. You're on. You yep. have users. How do you um how do you cancel Salesforce? You have to call. <laughs> you have to call and beg. I think you have to you gotta for, call for, Tyrone. So for the longest time you had to send a speaking of faxes, you had to send a fax in. Mm. I'm sure you just get a DocuSign document now. Probably so. Yeah. I don't know. I think the, the whole reason for the fax was to make it hard. They, you know, they didn't want to make it hard to cancel. It's a well known strategy. I think it was some um, one of these like WebEx type. It wasn't WebEx, one of the other ones. Like super easy to sign up. And then when I wanted to go cancel, it's like, oh, you have to, you know, call this people and then they'll give you a fax number and they have to send a fax in with this exact wording and like all the stuff. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad that I'm already canceling you because yeah. I hate you now. Yeah. I hate you more than I thought I did. But they're counting on you not wanting to go through that process. Yeah. But yeah, you know, and also the whole, re back to the other uh, topic, the whole role of CIOs has kind of changed in the cloud world. 
you know, it's not near as much about, you know, running your own data center. It's more about, you know, information and security. And of course, there's now like almost, a lot of companies have a, a what do they call it, a CISO, Chief Internet or Chief Information Security Officer. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have one of those, then like the the CIO kind of rolls up to the CIO. I mean, I, I guess security you can't can't. It's hard to get away from that being your job if you're in any kind of technical role. <clears throat> yeah. But you know, the CIO's job has become more of a business role, and as and I mean, of it's, it's it's technology and information technology related. But uh, in, instead of like hands on crap, it's just like okay, what's our strategy? What's our cloud? Our hybrid? Our mobile? Our all this stuff? It's like in security, and it's not near as much about oh, this is my playground, and you. You know, don't come piss on my bushes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of it used to just be supporting internal users. So your your private network and your internet and those kind of things. And then the web comes along and then you start adding a website. Okay, we figured that out now. And now... E-commerce, portals. Portals right. and, and mobile devices and um, Internet of Thing devices and things. And so that, that yeah. world is just huge now. So I think even without CIOs having to worry about and of course, most most decent sized companies still have their own data centers, but um, I think they know that as their inter- like their private their internal data center, as that workload probably is continuing to reduce, um, their the, the the idea of a CIO is still m- probably more important than ever, even though you're outsourcing so much of the actual infrastructure. Yeah, I think you said it best when it comes down to the strategy, because now you have so many options, you have so many tools to choose from, and, you know, depending on your needs, whether you need to scale up really quickly or whether you have the time to, to build it yourself and you want to do that, I think that's, that's what we're there faced with these days. Yeah. It's more just kind of defining the strategy of how they're going to use these things, you know, based on how quick things need to happen. Right. And, you know, for me personally, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean... I think as with most things, it was just some weird quirk that I was introduced to Salesforce. And this was, this was like 2003, I think. This goes way back. I mean, that's when Salesforce was really nothing but a, I mean, it really was just a very simple web-based contact management system. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It had opportunities and leads. So I guess that's more than contacts. It's, you know, I guess that's CRM. It was really more at the time, I think they were just considered SFA. I've never been clear on what the difference between SFA and CRM is, but I think CRM is supposed to be like the next logical step after SFA. Mm-hmm. But it's really simple. And I th- there was an API at the time. It was, it, I think it wasn't, when the, they didn't have SOAP yet. It was, I think it was the XML RPC or something. Mm. And uh, shortly after, but shortly after I got Showing your age. I know. Yeah, they, they did add SOAP pretty quickly. But yeah, I mean, I'm th- trying to think, like, when did, I mean, that was, Salesforce was the first, like, SOAP I ever did. I mean, I don't even know. They were, I always felt like they were the, kind of the poster child for soap, which for a while was a good thing. Now it's like, it's like you kind of, you don't really claim that, you don't want to claim that title anymore. Because soap, just that whole WS Death Stars, it kind of has a bad name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of fell into it and, and uh, I mean, it's, it's been good. Um, I've met a lot of people and been able to do work on some interesting projects. I still try to, though to to make sure that Salesforce isn't like my it's not my only thing. Yeah. I'm not defined by my career is not defined by Salesforce. My avatar doesn't have Salesforce logos on it. Um you know my my LinkedIn, God I hope I haven't looked at it forever. I hope it doesn't say this, but I don't think it says Salesforce developer. It says probably like, you know, software developer or software engineer or something like that. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, Salesforce is one of the things I do. You know, the Java stack is one of the things I do. Yeah. You know, single page apps. That's one of the things I do. Integration. That's one of the things I do. You know, AWS. That's one of the things I do. It's just, it's a tool in my tool chest, you know, and I try to stay up to date. And I mean, there's, and that, that's, a, that's, I think a somewhat of a conscious decision I think you have to make is like, I, am I going to pigeonhole myself and allow myself to be pigeonholed as a, as a Salesforce developer, as a Salesforce person? Or is that, or am I an engineer or am I, I'm a consultant or whatever your thing is, you know, and Salesforce is just one of the, one of the things that I have skills in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a specialty. I mean, yeah, like I mean, and back in the day, like you know, if you were a network guy, like were you just a was it CCNA, the Cisco Certified Network or something? You know, whatever it is. You know, is that is that your sole gig? Is that all you do, or are you like a network guru? And CCNA is Cisco is one of the things you're certified on that you can mm-hmm. do. You're also certified on you know Jupiter networks and whatever the other ones are. You know, right. And the thing is, like, I mean, me personally, like I. I don't like the idea of like kind of one vendor owning me, especially like if it's a commercial vendor. But I wonder if that's, that's just the way this ecosystem tends to lean. Like, I mean, Salesforce does a lot to try to make you feel like you're part of this Ohana. You're the part of this family. You're a Salesforce admin. You're a Salesforce developer. You're a citizen developer. You are a Salesforce commodity. I think that's what Salesforce wants. Salesforce, I mean, you look at, look at how they reach out to certain groups what, that, are, that have no like technical or cloud background or whatever like they'll reach out to like veterans or um certain you know certain communities of various whatever and they're trying to bring these people in and, and you know trailhead them up put them on the market you know get them in the fourth industrial revolution and all that you know help them just get by and um that is you know then, then that then because you, that, that is your thing then. You are now, you're in the Salesforce Ohana, and that is your one and only thing. You know, you can't go back to the Iraq war, it's over. You can't, you know, you can't, well, you could go back to Afghanistan, that's still, it's still a disaster. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you could probably get back in, but I mean, you know, like, once you're done with your hairdressing career, or you're, you know, you're out of the military, it's like, you're not going to go back to that. This is your thing. And before that, it's not like you were, um, before you know, because like before you did Salesforce stuff, you did you did all kinds of other programming. It's like it's just like a other thing that you can add to what you already. It's yeah, already I, part I, of your. But I, I think if I looked set. at that, if I looked at the comparison between what I was doing before and what I do now, I wasn't defined by that. I mean, I I was like I was a developer. Mm-hmm. I was a I started out as a VB developer, and then I went into C sharp, and as a C sharp developer, and I was a, I was basically a Microsoft technology developer, yeah, right? Um, and then I started getting into web development, and so then I was like, okay, I'm a web developer now. But I never felt like I was owned by a company. I never felt like Microsoft owned me, or I never felt like the web owned me. I was just a developer. Yeah. But now I feel like, I guess because it's, it's part of the promotion, the, the part of the kind of evangelizing yourself or putting yourself out there or kind of creating a name for yourself that you feel like you have to say, I'm a Salesforce developer. I'm Salesforce. I do this. I'm this. Well, I mean, if you want to be an MVP, if you want to... Um you know, if you want to get the product managers on your side and, and, and form and form these, you know, like trust relationships, like it's like, you've got to show that you only bat for one team. I like to play around. I do too. That's the thing. <laughs> I like to play the field. If you want to continue the metaphor. And I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I think there's advantages and disadvantages. There's definitely, I mean, there's advantages to like, to only 
doing nothing but Salesforce. I mean, you can, if you really want to special, I mean, it's like the idea of specialization. Like people, that's like the most common advice ever if you're a consultant or whatever, is specialize. Don't be like, oh, I'm just a developer. I can build anything you want. You, you really need to specialize so that you can become in the, known as the expert in that thing. Yeah. And so I think there's, it makes a, in some ways, it makes a lot of sense to be just like, a, if you're, if you like Salesforce, if you think you've got a good future there and like just be a, go get your CTA or whatever, like be a Salesforce developer, nothing yeah. but Salesforce. I, I think what, what probably defines it is the fact that it's proprietary. I think that's the key. Cause like, like I said, I, I consider myself a, a VB developer, a C-sharp developer or a web developer, and I never felt owned by any one company. But then when I say I'm a Salesforce developer, I feel like I'm owned, and I think that's because it's so proprietary. My skills don't transfer. It's like it's open source, or it's like some community thing. It's not. Yeah. It, it's as controlled by a for-profit company that really, well, I mean, of course, they do, they do serve their stakeholders. But other than that, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they've got their profit motive, and they're going to do what is good for them. Right? Yeah, no, I agree. Well, yeah, I think that's a that's a common perspective. Um, I think we've all kind of started somewhere and ended up somewhere completely different. And but you know that. So I just I do want to say like there's that there's a flip side of specialization, which is let's say you are a Salesforce developer and you like you're going to go full hog. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Whole hog. Sorry, whole hog Salesforce. Um, that's great, right? I mean, you can be like um, I mean, speaking of uh, the Code coverage guys like uh, isn't Steven a he's at one of the few CTAs right? Probably I think he is because yeah. Remember the, a while back he you know he kind of blogged about the whole, um, the whole experience yeah, yeah yeah um and I'm sure that serves him very well I mean if you're a C, if you're one of the few CTAs it's like if you're one of the few master uh, master cicerones or a master sommelier I mean that's your thing and mm-hmm. you can pretty much walk in anywhere and get a job I'm sure Stephen can pretty much walk into it, I mean, that's that's a pretty prestigious credential. Right. Um, but if I wanted to talk to someone about, hey, um, you know, yeah, we have Salesforce, but we got all these other things, and we're not, and, you know, here's the whole thing we want to build, and it's got, it's got uh, apps, and it's got mobile, and it's got, it's going to be a portal, and this portal, and the e-commerce. And if I want to know, like, what, you know, how much I should use Salesforce for that or in which parts, which areas I should use other pieces and like a neutral opinion on mm-hmm. which vendors I should go with, how I should build this out. Like, do I go to a CTA for that? Or do I go to someone who's like a, a more general, you know, application architect or consultant or something like that, that, that can give me more neutral advice? Because I feel like when you go to, and this is kind of one of my pet peeves with these Salesforce consulting shops. And it's not, Blame that all. It's just I just think it's it's and just one of these things. Like if you go to one of these Salesforce consulting shops and say, "Well, I mean, here's our problem. Like, you know, yeah, we need a CRM thing, but we also, you know, we sell on our website, and you know, we we um, we have this uh, partner community resellers, and we want to do something for them. You know, how much should we Salesforce this? How you know, let's how can I compare Salesforce's offerings to like? some other offerings and maybe Zendesk or who, I don't know, I don't know, whatever the things are, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Do I trust a, I mean, I don't want to, oh, kind of, just, just one of these, I, I, can't, I can't think of any name. I don't want to, I don't want to throw any names out there, but you know, do you trust a shop that, that that's all they do is Salesforce with that, with that question? I mean, are they really a consultant? Are you going to get like neutral, um, uh, disinterested, 
advice? I think I think it depends. Impartial on... advice? No, you're not. You well, can't. No, hold on. I think you can. Oh my god. Okay. I, 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 I can't I, wait to hear this. I think if you're talking to an Accenture, then yeah, you're not. But I, I, I mean, actually, no. Accenture has they do a lot more than Salesforce. They they may be one of the ones that you would go to. I don't know. Almost, I, I guess. I guess from my perspective is. Is there someone out there with God level powers that knows enough about everything that can give you no. the, the the answer no. that you're looking no. for? No, and that's the other problem. Like you, and can't, so that's why I think right. I think collecting like a, a Salesforce expert and a SAP expert and your I don't know your WordPress expert and getting those guys in a room and saying, okay, here's what we're trying to accomplish. How do we do this? Yeah, I think that's the way you go. You don't look for one person or one company that says I have all the answers because that's not possible. No, but it is possible to find someone that is broadly experienced and just get their opinion get their advice yeah but and i mean value, like value. you said everyone's got to have a, a specialty and they're going to have some kind of bias towards some technology or they or they just might be playing to their strength it, it may not even be like a conscious effort to say oh no i'm a salesforce guy you have to use salesforce it could yeah. just be i know salesforce here's what it can do does that work for you yes or no right that's, that's my perspective on it yeah and on the cta i haven't from what I understand of the CTA certification, the reason it's it's so hard to get into is because I think they do cover those type of things. They do cover, you know, where Salesforce is, is good and how best to use it and, you know, what other technologies you can hook into it and all those kind of things. I think they expect you to have that kind of breadth of knowledge. I don't think I don't think people that are just are single focused, single minded and only have Salesforce in mind can get that certification. Yeah, no, and you have to know because you know you you um. I mean, there's I think a written or like a, a written portion of the test, but there's right. also like the the board certification. Yeah, and you have to do um. Well, there's a, it's not a board certification that makes it sound like a medical thing, but there's the there's the there's a board. No, there's a board in front of a board, but it's not a board certification. It's just, yeah, there is <clears> well a, the board there's awards a, yeah. certification, but um, and yeah, I think you have to build something or write. You have to write up um. There's some kind of thing you have to write up, like it's like a a solution to something, and you have to you know. Defend it almost like a uh, like a thesis or something. Yeah, in front of the board, mm -hmm. I think, and and then I think they can just grill you on whatever they want. But you have to, you know, again, the, <laughs> this board is extremely biased. You and you need to understand this is this is just basic stuff. Like anytime you're talking or giving a presentation or trying to convince someone of something, like you have to understand your audience, and you have to understand this audience, uh, which is a bunch of Salesforce people. Sure. And so, any solutions that you come up with that you design. Uh, any answers that you give to questions they may have about why you chose this or that or whatever, like you got to know who you're talking to, which is a bunch of Salesforce people. Right. So <laughs> you need to give your answers in that context that they're going to, number one, actually even understand what you're saying. Because there's probably plenty of valid ways to design something that are things that these people don't even understand because they are in the Salesforce milieu. That's, well, that's what they do. That's their employer. I mean, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that you're... Some of them might not be people who have a broad background, but I mean, in general, like that is your audience. These are Salesforce people. I, I guess so, I look at it as, you know, so, if, if I was, they asked me to design some kind of security model and, and I went full custom, they might go, why did you go full custom when Salesforce has got a, this, you know, I well, mean, which is a fine question. You just have to be able to, I, I think, and I'll, I'll defend these people now. I think what they're looking for is not necessarily the right answer because that gets into gray areas. Mm -hmm. There can be multiple right answers, I think. The question that I think what they probably want to know is your thought process of how, and, and your ability to answer why you chose that solution and give valid reasons and advantages of what you chose to do. It, you know, in their opinion, maybe it's not the best thing, maybe something they would have done, but if you can describe, like with 
convincing rationale why you did something, I think that should be acceptable. And, you know, hopefully they would accept that. But again, still know your audience. Like, don't go, if you're doing the CTA board, don't go off the reservation, right? <laughs> but Well, yeah. I, have, I haven't experienced it firsthand, and I'm not, I'm not sure if it's something I'm interested in, but... Um... And, and I don't know, you know, I, I often think, um, and if I just went whole hog Salesforce, again, back to that term. I mean, that, that probably would be a simpler, easier, and potentially more financially rewarding life for me. But there's something about that I just, I can't, I can't do it. It's, it's something that's been playing on my mind. I've, I've, for the last two years, I've wondered if I should go for that CTA certification. Um, but and, I, they're, they're, like well, you said, there's, and even there's if you one did thing. That, that doesn't mean you have to be like, no, that doesn't mean you have to be married to Salesforce and that you can't do anything else. That, I mean, it just, um, well, it's, just, it's just a, means you have, you got certified as a technical architect by Salesforce's board, you know? Yeah. It doesn't mean that you can't do other stuff and you can't st- go off and, you know, piddle with, around with Node and I, I guess, Spring Boot. And I guess I have, I have problems with the whole architect role in general because I still like being close to code. I still like being close to customers. I still like producing and providing solutions. And I, I, feel I, like, I feel like once I yeah. get that certification, I become this kind of like, <coughs> especially in the Salesforce world where there's not that many and it, it you know, it it elevates you to a certain degree and people expect, have certain expectations of you. And like my whole job role would be talking Salesforce yeah, at a no, high level. I and you I, know? I actually would be interested because f- from the couple of episodes they've, that the code coverage guys have done, it sounds like Steven does not do a lot of coding um, just because of the role he's in now. And it's probably, again, it's probably, uh, it's probably moving up the ladder and it's probably, you know, more financial re- rewarding and everything, but you do, you're not, you're not coding as much because most companies, right or wrong, feel that coding is a fairly low level, um, not highly valuable thing. Just like, hang on, I've also talked about how like, that's one of the reasons why I've, for a long time, I just avoided doing integrations because people were viewing integrations just as kind of like this, oh, it's like a low value thing. Yeah. And I'm just, and I, and I, th- I looked at that and thought, well, that's really weird to me because I've seen so many bad integrations there are so many ways to do them wrong, and they're so critical that like this is this is a very high value thing. And I would only like I'd go find the only the best, smartest integration architects I could find to to build if it was something that I'm running my business on. Yeah, and I see these people doing integrations that they know nothing about integration. They know nothing about modern integration, but they're just slapping together these like. I don't know, they'll go pull some open source thing and just like, it's just like these really brittle, crappily designed, not ability to, no ability to withstand any kind of errors or whatever. And I'm, I'm just like, what are, you, what are you doing? This is this is a disaster. But I see that yeah. all the time. And I'm like, if I, that's what I'm competing with, if that's okay, I mean, this, these people, they're, they're, they don't know what they're doing. And so they're not very expensive either. So I, I can't compete with them. I mean, if, if you don't, if you don't understand what I do, you're not going to value what I'm doing here. So that's why I just, for the longest time, I avoided integration. It's also the space this is in. I mean, I'm in kind of the Salesforce space, which is dominated by CMOs and VPs of sales. They don't know one integration guy from another. And therefore, most of the consulting shops don't know one, one integration guy from the other. I mean, I can tell you how many times I've tried to explain um, these types of things to like people who run these consulting shops. They're like, it's like you're, it's like a deer in the headlights. They have no yeah. idea what you're saying. They don't know. They don't care. What's your rate? What's your rate? Oh, well, this by the guy's cheaper. But yeah, but look what look what he's done. Oh, I don't care. They're fine. They paid their bill. It's good. We've moved on. 
new projects. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> but uh, back to the, the whole like CTA thing and like, you know, you're not doing as much coding. I would love to hear these maybe like Steven's thoughts on this, but mine are mine are like I, I I don't see how you can be a good architect if you're not staying sharp. These because then you don't you become the 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 proverbial um, ivory tower architect at that point. I, like, I think I think when you all up... you I mean basically like you know you're doing kind of UML diagrams and writing documents for a living. I mean, and the problem with that is well, it depends on your you approach. Really, to you it. really lose touch on how things are actually built. Because this stuff moves pretty fast. I mean, sure, some, you know, like, there's just certain principles and patterns that are mm -hmm. just always going to be good. You know, like in, in integration, like one of the important things is like, you know, all the messaging patterns and stuff and why messaging and asynchronous and, and low coupled integrations are smart, you know, and they're resilient and they're, they can recover from error and things like that. You know, like th that, those types of patterns, like they're, they're not going to change. Yeah. We, we may have a new Apache application that implements it a little bit better than the one we used to use, but it's still like, you still understand it. You still, you know, you can, but I mean, I don't know. That's like the, the actual tools that things get built with change fast enough that if you're not, if you're not building stuff, if you're not getting your hands dirty on a somewhat regular basis, I think you lose touch. And that's what I don't want to do. I, you know, and again, just, just me, just me personally, I actually like to build stuff. Yeah. I'd rather be building stuff. I, my mix of building stuff to like sitting in meetings and on calls is a, I have a certain tolerance for for sitting in meetings and on calls because I have to to, to to communicate to some degree. But like I want to spend most of my time building stuff because that's I mean for me that's how I truly create the most value. Yeah, I also think it's on. I I, I agree with you. Um, there there's certain things that unless you're in the trenches, you're not going to learn. Especially, and if you have a team, you might get exposure to that in in some fashion. I think it also depends on how you approach your architecture. If you're just purely writing documents and just going by what you know, probably. But when I had when I was working for an enterprise company and I had the luxury of time where my time wasn't billed by the hour, I was salary, I got paid well, and I could just focus on doing my job, not how many hours it was going to take to do this one thing because the client's on a budget and all this kind of stuff. I could take the time to prototype something. I could I could define a solution and go, okay, let me prototype this. It was throwaway code. It never saw the light of day, but I could prototype it out and say, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. It's sound, and I can document that yes. in detail right. and, and put that you're, out there for the developers. Yeah, because what you're doing is you're, you're proving out all your assumptions up front, right. or as many as you can. That's the whole idea of a prototype. Is that, like, that's one thing I don't like about consulting, and may, maybe it's just the way I – I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I, I, just, I just don't feel like I have that luxury when I'm billing by the hour to take the time to prototype something out for a design – when there's this but tight you, timeline yeah, of... Yeah, but that's, that's, that's what it comes back to. Like, I think part of being a good consultant is explaining to the, to the client, like, hey, we want to prototype this, and here's why. You know, we want to, we want to front load all the risk as much as possible. Instead of, instead of having that, a lot of that risk being like in the middle and at the end of the project, we want to front load as much of that risk as possible. Yeah, but it's, it's weird how things kind of progress. Sometimes, at some point, but, like I, the way... The way yeah. It's different, and I'll say it's different because when I worked for a company... A big enterprise company. I knew them. I knew that company. I knew the problems. I knew the the business cases. I had a good idea of the requirements and the problems we were trying to solve. I didn't have to explain those to someone else. So I could take a problem, a sentence long, and try to prototype out and expand it out into something technical that a developer could build on. With consulting, we don't we don't have that luxury. We're coming into something cold, and we have to warm up as quick as we can 
and try to define and try to create this path, this roadmap of how we're going to implement this in the quickest way possible so we don't eat up a bunch of budget up front. And so I think that's the difference between, you know, working for a big company that gives you the luxury to kind of not only know the culture of the company and know the requirements ahead of time and have the time to prototype it out versus coming into a company cold and trying to be sensitive to budget as an architecture, as an architect. I guess it's, you know, are you, do you optimizing for like really short-term budget or for long-term budget? Well, it's, it's a, it, because, it blows in the wind. It's consulting. It, you have some well, small clients, it, you have some big clients, you have some luxuries, you have some constraints. Again, if, if you're not validating assumptions up, up front and, you know, mitigating risk, and again, I see this a lot where people actually, they, they don't want to talk about risk. Not the client. The consultants. Oh, we are, we, you, we know, we, we give you our big presentation and our big fancy, our fancy, uh, what do you call the, the, the proposal, right? Where it's like, a, you know, all this stuff written up and maybe we're in this quadrant and, you know, we're, we've been a partner this long and all this stuff, you know, and then at the end you get the price, you know. <laughs> um, and we, we, we've sold you on how we're the best and there's no risk and we're the best. And, you know, it's like, it, and then, well, I, and I sit down and I, I start talking about, oh, wait, first of all, let me tell you that the path from here A to B is fraught with all kinds of problems. There's monsters and traps and booby traps and it's like an Indiana Jones movie to get from A to B. Oh, and I'm being honest with you. Dungeon and Dragons, but... You know, <laughs> and, and I, and I want to talk about that because what I want to do is make smart decisions so that we can have the best chance of getting from A to B while still staying somewhat on budget, you know? And I, no, I think that's happening. I think that's what's going on. It's just, Where? it's a different... Who? What are you talking about? I mean, it happens in different ways. It's okay. not always the way you like. Sometimes it's a waterfall, ugly approach. Sometimes it's an agile approach. Sometimes it's some ugly hybrid Frankenstein of a process. But we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to warm up to the requirements so that we can get to a point where we can start doing something as quick as possible. Yeah. And that's going to happen whether you're enterprise, working for a company, or consulting. It's just, depending on the situation, you have certain luxuries. And like I said, working for a company, you have quite a few luxuries because you're in it every day. You know all the problems. You know all the challenges. You already, you kind of know all the systems you're going to integrate with and had, had the luxury of seeing those succeed and fail. Mm -hmm. Whether it's consulting, it's, it's a, to me, it's really different because you're coming into it so cold. And to, to take the time to learn that I took months to learn in this one company and built that expertise, I can't eat up budget for, another, yeah. for a client well, doing that. That's what, and that's what helps when the client puts together a good team of the people that have all that tribal knowledge that are working with you in a really like open and honest way. But popping the stack, that's where I think the architecture roles would be different. Like if you're an architect for a big enterprise company, I think you'd still, I think you'd stay sharp because you'd have the luxury of, of exploring things and prototyping things and failing at things. Whereas as a consultant, you're on someone's dime. And, and th yeah, and that, and that, and you're, you've, they chose you because they, you expert. were pitched as yeah. the best, the expert, the guy, the, the guy or guys and guys and gals, whatever the team, right? Whatever yeah. that can, this is going to get it done. I mean, you, you come up, you, you, you are dropped in with such high expectations that you feel like you can't have the honest conversations. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm honest, I, I do feel a lot of times like, not a lot of times. There, there are a few situations where I'm like, I'm going to have to pose this one. I'm going to have to be a poser on this one because yeah. mm. I don't know. <clears throat> Which is also why I like longer-term projects because I can ease into that if I feel like I need to. And, and, in, in, and over time, you build up this, like, this rapport and like a tr literally like a, a trusting relationship with these people. They, 
they know that if there is a problem, you're, you're going to talk to them about it and y'all are going to work through it. You're going to fit, you know, as a team, you're going to figure out, okay, here's the problem. Here's our options. What, what should we do? And, you know, and if you do all these things, like, again, like, like let's bring all the problems up front. Let's, yeah. let's figure out what all our assumptions are and, and bring those up front and let, like, let's work this together. Let's figure out a way to work. Let's, uh, let's do a backlog and we'll, all, we'll always keep it, you know, up to date and we'll, we'll work through this with a really transparent way. Like, we'll always know where things are and what the problems are and everything else. And, and, but sometimes it takes time to get into that. I mean, it can take a few months easily. Yeah. I mean, I'm... Sometimes it takes finishing the first phase of the project and, and kind of having that, um, I, I want to say camaraderie. When you, when you deliver something and you all kind of, you went through you the pain and agony. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You, you hated each other one moment, you loved each other the next moment, and then you finally get to the point where you deliver something and it worked, and then you, from there you're able to kind of be a little more honest with each other because you've had that experience, that background. You have right. something to bond over. Yeah, you've, and you've proven, you've proven your capabilities now, so now you can actually be a little a more team? raw. A little, no, no, you, I mean, you can be, um, you can bring up you know, things that may be viewed as you know, negatives or risky or whatever. Like you can... You don't have to worry about scaring off the client. Right. Because they trust you. Yeah. You've already been through something together. Yeah. How do you get on this? I have no <laughs> idea. It's an interesting conversation, though. Oh, well, thank you, Craig. That was a great topic. Um, well, we might only do community topics because we're, we're getting pretty yeah, long and here. I've, I, I, so I, I got to give, give a quick shout out to because I'm going to go run after this, um, even though I've had a couple beers. But um, so my foot is like 100% better like no issue but uh dr nick has given me some really good advice he's like a run he's like a athletic expert well he, he is a doctor is he i don't think he is is he <laughs> i actually don't know <laughs> maybe he's an md but uh, he certainly like knows a lot about running and like mm -hmm. just run, health, running health and running injuries and all that kind of stuff and like he's given me some pretty good advice and i've followed it and it's um i'm still following it and it's so far so good so that's good. Yeah. Health is important. I need to work. I know. I, I do too. And I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm not trying, but I need to. I haven't gotten to the point where I can focus on that. I'm being realistic with myself and knowing that right now my mental capacity to try to make a change <laughs> in my routine is just not there. It's weird because I feel like the, if, you if you looked at life as like a pyramid or like a Maslow thing, like the very, the very foundation, I think, is like physical health. Because if you don't have that, it messes up everything else. It affects everything else. I think, I think my priority scale is different. <laughs> I prioritize but I, but my family and their well-being. Being, but you and then can't I'm take last. care of your family if you're not healthy or if you're dead or if you're six feet under. You oh. can't take care of your family. That's, that's the flaw in your logic. Yeah. Well, right now I'm trying to make sure they have everything they need and the sacrifice of myself for now. It's a short-term thing. I don't know. Well, I'm, I've made my point. I'm not going to badger you. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, last topic. Uh, man, I had some good news topics too. Darn. Oh, well. Oh, we got to at least talk about the Poop Patrol. Yes, I did want to talk about Poop Patrol. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but let's talk, about, let's talk about Mike's topic really quick. So this is another one from our community. Uh, Mike from Durham did say we could use his name. From Durham? From Durham. Okay. Um, the Durham-Raleigh thing? 
Yeah. Is that the is that the tri city tri state? And there, there there's so many too many tri things. I have no idea. And, t- and twins? How many twins? I cities have are there? no idea. <laughs> yeah, Did I? Was that, that a good from? impression? What's that's that from, from Benioff. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, let's, let's see. Let's, let's see how good of an impression that was. Uh, there we go. I have no idea. That's pretty good. It wasn't bad, right? Yeah. How about this? He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. He has no idea. <laughs> oh, what that guy is unhinged. <laughs> but he's he makes more money than us. Oh, certainly. Apparently, crazy makes money. It, it, it can. That's what we need to do. We, we need to change the show just to be complete yeah, crazy I mean, you know, goofballs. Um, this guy, Alex Jones, who I don't know very, very little about, but got, he got, had been in the news because he got taken off all the Facebook and everything and, and uh, all the socials. All Apple stuff. All the socials. Well, like his podcast got taken, I guess, down and all that. And apparently he's crazy as hell. And I bet he makes a ton of money. I think people just like, used to. like watching crazy happen. Maybe you and I should just like, go. It's just like the train wreck or the whatever. Maybe we should just go to absolutely nuts. Just absolute bat poop crazy off the rails nuts. Just screaming and yelling about everything. Cloud and Benioff <laughs> and everything. Maybe. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm halfway there already, so. <laughs> I, I feel like we're, we're calming down and, you know, I maybe know. if we just up the crazy, I, our numbers I, would go pew. I do feel like I've mellowed some, but. Yeah. Anyway. All right. What's, what's, what are we doing here? Uh, so this one's from Mike. Uh, Mike Simpson. He says we can use his name. Uh, he says, I love Jeremy's rant on the metadata size limitations and how you have to break your deployments into chunks. But then it hit. Uh, but then hit loads of dependency problems. I'd be really interested in a hypothetical or real situation where you may be able to leverage unlocked packages to maybe solve that problem. There's a four-part Salesforce uh, developer's blog post on unlocked packages that I thought was really interesting. Would love to hear your thoughts on the topic. Thanks. Yeah, I'm just not up to speed on those. Um, I really need. I, it's weird because at Trailhead DX, like I guess two years ago, two ago, when they started announcing the new packaging stuff, I, I <clears throat> that was like the most interesting thing to me. But then when I found out more about it, I just it wasn't wasn't something I was going to be able to use in the near term, and mm-hmm. I, so I kind of just I don't want to say wrote it off, just like put it on the back burner. And now I need to I need to look back into it and see where it's at. Now I really don't know. Um, I don't have high hopes, so I'll tell you. I mean, I'm I think for certain types of projects, certain types of companies, particularly ISVs, I want to talk about that. But but others too. I think it. I think there's. It seems like there's there's some really interesting stuff going on. But I'm just not up to speed on it to be able to answer that uh, in a in an informed way. Yeah, I mean, should I just sales, make something up? Salesforce. Well, no, I think there's a part of it that you can't answer, and I'll I'll lead you into okay. it. But I think I think Salesforce is targeting uh, mainly because they know this is a hard problem to solve, and only really sophisticated development shops really have a need for this. I mean, most people that are just writing triggers use the tools you have and upload it. You don't need a CI system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're really targeting um, ISVs and big enterprise customers who do a lot of heavy customizations, and even their documentation kind of points to that. You know, these are the people who should be using this, yep. um, at least for right now. I don't know a lot about the unpack- un- unlocked packages, but from what I understand, you still kind of have a lot of the same problems. It's essentially... I don't want to say it's essentially. I don't want to equate it to change sets, but it almost feels like a. Well, or I'm sorry, so like manage or unmanaged packages. Do you know enough about unlocked packages to describe what that what they are? Well, they're cha- they're changing the terminology. So managed packages are becoming like managed packages version two or two point or something like that. And then what used to be unmanaged packages, I think they're trying to change the terminology to be packages. But packages in DX world is you create these packages, you define what's in that package, and you deploy that package, and that package 
usually comes from your source control. So you have this, you put everything in, why are you not shaking your head? Uh, well, first of all, you've said the package so many times that word's starting to sound really weird to me. It is weird because, because uh, I know you're a Java guy and so packages mean something to you and this is different. No, I understand. I know what you mean by package. I mean, it just in a general term. It's more of like a, it's not a, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a container of things that can have yeah. all kinds of stuff, not just you know, yeah, and that, that's 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 a good way of putting it. I mean, it's, it's not a namespace. It's, it's more than namespace. It's, it's, it's a, not a namespace. Yeah. It's definitely not a namespace, but it is it is a container of a block of functionality. And I've seen some some few talks as I try to get into it more. They kind of try to recommend, obviously, not doing the big bang, having one big package for everything. Um, it seems the consensus out there is to create a lot of smaller packages to try to. Yeah, but this is this is coming from the the company that number one championed the happy soup. But pretty much gave us no option but the happy soup, and now they're telling us to detangle that. Yeah, in a, in an environment that you can't really refactor in, or we're somehow supposed to refactor that into packages, just like like loosely coupled independent packages. I mean, sorry, but no one, no one who has a sizable org is going to be able to do that. But it, so I'm glad you said that because I kind of wanted to pose this question to you. I mean, is it a change of mindset? I mean, we we usually think about deploying bits of functionality as this is the source of truth, take my executable, overwrite what's in production, and we're done. That's, that's, the, that's the way you do it on any other platform. But in Here's this, my new build. In this world of cloud, right. everything no, is a patch. Cloud. It's Every, Salesforce. Everything is a, it's not cloud, it's Salesforce. In this world of Salesforce. Okay. In this world of Salesforce, everything is essentially just a patch. It's, it's a modification to what exists in production. It's not a overwrite. Yes. And so, you do, it, it's, you can't overwrite everything because not everything's available in the metadata, first of all. And two, these things take forever. And three, um, in your source control, it's tough to manage that entire scope of the of one big package versus having a lot of smaller little snippets of package. Yeah. I hope I'm saying that right. I think so. So I think that's the, the, the methodology that, that's coming out of this is that you would have well-defined, essentially, namespaces without getting the functionality of namespaces is you, you divide your, your customizations, your codes, and everything else into blocks of functionality that are well-defined that you can then more easily deploy. So you might have, like, a core library. You might have a, I don't know, a inventory library. You might have whatever. True, but let's say in your inventory library, you, um, you, you've refactored one class away and replaced it with two classes. Mm-hmm. Now you now you're down to the you're just, just because there's you you have this thing called an unlocked package doesn't solve the actual yeah. underlying metadata API problem right that I know of I mean maybe I'm wrong but unless are, are these tools and here here's where my ignorance is going to come into play is the Salesforce DX tool designed to read your source tree and go okay there was a delete and a and a rename, or there is this, and it does it read that back and then do that as a deployment, or is it strictly here's a package, push it, and see if anything breaks? I, I don't know, but it's interesting because, you know, in in normal application development, you've got you got kind of almost two sides of the house. You got your application code, which is usually deployed as just like again a drop in binary, right? Mm-hmm. Is it the package, the whatever, the war file, whatever it is, <clears throat> the zip, the jar, the node package, right? The Whatever. Exe. Yeah. Um, and then you have the database. You have mm-hmm. state. Now, state is the challenging part. 
and that's because the way like so for example for with databases i mean like you know whether you're doing um you know any any kind of system rails java whatever there's you always have this concept of like database migration so as you mm-hmm. as the application evolves over time you're having to make structural changes to the database and the question is well how do you do that repeatedly i mean how do you do that in a reliable way how do you make those changes in your local dev environment, your local dev database, and then when that deploys to some kind of QA and staging and testing and all this, I mean, how does it, or whatever, you know, all the databases that need to be updated, how do you, how are you applying those changes, right? And so there's this pretty well-known concept which is like, you know, database migration. So you, those are saved as basically scripts, database scripts, like SQL scripts or whatever your database Mm is. And when you deploy the application, to a database, like the first thing the application does when it starts up, this is one way you can do it. First thing the application does when it starts up, it looks in the database and it looks for like a table that lists the basically the versions of the database that 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 database knows about. Mm-hmm. And let's say that um, the database in that in that you're deploying this to, it knows the latest version knows is 37. Well, in that application code you just dropped in there, it's got um, you know 39 SQL scripts, one for each version. So that database now knows, like, oh, well, the application knows, okay, this database is only up at version 37, so we need to apply the 38 patch and then apply the 39 patch. Mm-hmm. But these are highly dependent. Like, the, 30, the 38 patch will all, knows that it has to be applied to a database that's of, on version 37, right? All right. Um, the problem with Salesforce, that funnily, funnily enough, this amazing metadata-driven platform, is their Achilles heel. That is their Achilles heel. Because all of your applic- what in the normal development is the applica- application code, and the Salesforce world is actually that's actually data in their database, right? Your custom fields and classes and workflows and page layouts—that's all just data in their database. That's state. It's not application. It's not a. It's not part of a, a binary bundle that you dump in, right? And so, the entire Salesforce system you have to treat like a database migration. That's why there's no known good build. In, in the database migration world, no, no one of those scripts can be taken and used to populate a new database. You have to have every version of that database that ever existed gets bundled into the app. And so when you pull your app to a, a database that's got only version 35, then it, then it applies the 36 patch, the 37 patch, the 38 patch, and then the 39 patch. And then it's up to date. And that's how you kind of have to treat Salesforce development. And that's why there's all these tools. Well, there's not that many tools. I used to do, um, I would use Solenopsis to kind of um, mimic that type of thing, mm-hmm. where it would, it would look at your build, like your final Salesforce build, and it would look at the org you're deploying it to, and it would say, okay, uh, there's stuff that you have in your build that's already in Salesforce, there's stuff that you have in your build that's not in Salesforce, and there's stuff in Salesforce that's not in your build anymore. So those in that final category had to be deleted out. Right. So what you want to do is build, you want to dynamically create like a, a, a one-time, a one-time build that's just for your, that's a, that's a, your latest build applied to this, the org you're deploying to, its current state as it is. Mm-hmm. And it tries to build that migration script, basically, that patches things, adds things, and removes things. Okay. But it's fraught with 
all kinds of problems that basically the metadata API just can't support. And of course, there's just, it's so freaking complicated. This is why like, I, I feel bad for the metadata API team because they have, they have an impossible task, which is to create, their task would be to create a bug-free metadata system that you can just transition from your current state to your needed state. And it's so complex. That's why it's full of, it's full of bugs. And the bugs are always changing. But it's not a reason not to pursue it. It's not a reason not to try or to continue to try to work with what you have, though. For who to not try to work with what? I'm not following you. Well, you, you paint this picture of how it's just this insurmountable task and we're never going to... You, you make it seem like we're never going to get to a point where we can do this. I've been watching for 10 years. And it hasn't changed in any fundamental way at all. I mean, I still, I still think there's value to DX. We have DX. I still think there's... No, we have DX, but that's, uh, DX is orthogonal to the metadata API. Right, but I, I think... Well, so I, I guess where DX kind of comes into play is that it's a, it's a tool set that if you're able to write scripts that are elegant enough to create a very smart package or break that up into mm. smaller smart packages, you now have a way to kind of accomplish that. I don't think so. I think you, you can break them down as small as you want. You're still going to have the same problems. It does still have got to be deployed. You know, just get Einstein to do it. You're still, we'll, you're we'll say, Einstein, go from here to here, and it's going to go, yeah. and it's going to do it all. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely think it's some of the, I mean, from what I've seen from the, some of the packaging stuff that they're doing, I mean, it, it is solving certain types of problems that are involved with deployment. Mm -hmm. But the underlying I mean, there seems to be a lot of focus same. on this. I mean, even at TDX, I mean, we, they, they, they now have that tool that lets you kind of see what's covered in the metadata what's covered in the metadata API and what isn't and all those kind of things. I mean, <coughs> it, it is getting attention. Yeah. And stuff is happening. Yeah. And I mean, look at DX itself. Like it, first of all, they came up with their own API, a like this change API, which I believe is internal. I don't think it's even, we can't even use it. So to even do, mm. to even just have like basic, like kind of approximating like normal software development, required Salesforce to create a new API, which again is, I think is private. That, no, I think we can use it. No, API? I think we can use okay, it. Okay, is it? Yeah. I haven't seen it. I'd love to see it. I thought I saw a TDX that we could use it. I don't know. Have you seen it on developer.salesforce.com? Is that, is that, a thing I I is that the change API? Whatever it's called? So anyway, so DX uses that. And then I believe that DX does not use the tooling API at all. Because it's got, it's actually got, I think, got more issues than the metadata API does. And so, yeah, so I think DX uses, um, yeah, the change API. And then when you got to deploy, it use the metadata, which is why when you deploy via DX, it's sometimes it's a lot slower than if you use something like uh, anything that uses the tooling API. Because in a lot of cases, the tooling, tooling API is going to be faster. I think, I think the tooling API jobs get prioritized differently. Hmm. It, it did say in the documentation for, for packages that they could take a while. And if, and if they work and they're, if they're repeatable and consistent and item potent, that's that's fine. I don't I don't mind that. I mean, the things I want to be faster when I'm developing, like when I'm compiling, testing. But that's the that's the fallacy. When you're developing, you're deploying. Know, when you save a class, you're that's deploying. Deployment. But if you're using the tooling API, first of all, I think again, I think those jobs get prioritized higher. Um, and if you're if you are using the metadata API, because some things the tooling API doesn't support, you have to use a metadata API. And um, if the I think because they they have like this algorithm that 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 the queuing algorithm for metadata jobs, mm -hmm. 
that looks, I think it looks into the job and it looks at like, oh, what, is this just like a couple of Apex classes? Or is it like an entire org? What is it? Because they know that if it's, a, if it's like one Apex class, oh, that's a developer that's just trying to get his work done. His or her work done. Sorry for always defaulting to his. I use that generically. I don't mean it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, if it's just like one or two classes, that's probably a developer just trying to you know, do something. They're sitting there waiting so they can get on to the next thing. But if it's like a giant job with a ton of stuff in it, well, that's a, that's a deployment that someone fired off and they're, they're, they've already left to go get, make some coffee. You know, they know it's... Right. So, they, so that automatically gets put down lower in the queue and just deprioritized, but gets put on the, the slow boat. Well, I mean, okay, so let's pop the stack then. Um, as, as a strategy as a whole, assuming that, that, you know, everything's working fine with the metadata API and DX and everything, in terms of packages, there's still, there's still a size limitation to it. And there's still a dependency management issue to it. Yeah, I, I'm lucky right now that I'm not, I don't have, I'm not working in any org that has a, um, that the, that the, Total to like package size is bigger than the what is it? I think it has to be four hundred under four hundred meg, mm-hmm. and that's that's the funny thing about it is it's four hundred meg in its unzipped state. I think because mm. you know you have to you zip the whole thing up and send it to the metadata API. Right. But I think it's like in the unzipped it has to be under four hundred meg. But when you when you kind of in your original <laughs> strategy you had everything in one package you had yeah meta, you had objects sure. you had everything. Is there a strategy that you think would work where say objects were its own package? And maybe your core libraries of another package, your inventory is another package, your well, I don't know, your okay marketing automations another package. You can start to do that. You again, you have to really understand and design your dependencies really well. You need to lay those packages out on a, you know, open up your Visio or whatever. <clears throat> and everyone uses Lucid charts right now, by the way. <clears throat> and you need to lay those packages out in 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 a diagram that's like in dependency order, and you need to see. Like the being uh, in a dependency graph, right? And and mm-hmm. the, and things point to what they depend on. And if you have all the arrows going up on the diagram, then you start with the thing at the very top. That's what's got to be deployed first. Which I think I think having objects as its own package would help that. But if you here's the, here's the thing that that's weird. Though. Let's say like in this top thing that everything else is dependent on. Let's say you make a change to that, mm-hmm. right? And all these other things have changed because they all depend on that. Mm-hmm. So they've changed to let's say the top new thing. It's added a it's added a new field. Okay. And everything else is referring to that new field. You can't just deploy, Salesforce won't let you just deploy the, the one package because you deploy it and, well, actually, you, you probably could if you just added something. Let's say you renamed it, though. You renamed something. You renamed a field. You can't right. deploy that one field because everything else in the org is referring to the old name. So you, you kind of get to that same thing. It's like, I mean, this is all application code. Like, I, need I know to, that you can't. Can you rename? You can't rename. It had to be. You can't really. Yeah. It has to be a delete and create. Right, create. but that would also not work. I mean, I think you can rename you'd a UI, de- but you can't deploy a rename. You'd have rename. to deploy... You can't deploy a rename because it's dependent on the API name. No, but let's say you just replace... Basically, so a rename in Salesforce... I mean, there is no, a... So, so in the UI, you can officially rename. You cannot do that via metadata API. But you can't do it through the metadata because no. it uses the name as a key and it well, would just see it as a new so field. Let me, let me, my asterisk here is that there is in the, there's a, there's a newer, relatively newer metadata API that's, they call it like the CRUD metadata API, mm-hmm. which does have a rename feature. It's limited and only works in certain ways, but it, again, it's, it's nothing that, it's nothing that you can do in a, 
as a part of like an automated deployment, like the way you, that you, the way that any software is deployed. It, it's very limited in how you can actually use it. Yeah. But no, let's, let's say you, you know, you, you did in some package, you renamed, you know, like a, a, a you renamed the field on a class or a method on a class. And there's all these other classes that refer to it that are in other packages. Uh-huh. You can't just deploy that one. Of course you can't. You can't deploy that one package with a rename because all the other stuff in the org refers to the old name, and Salesforce isn't going to let that go through. So you're still back to having to deploy all your packages at the same time. Well, I guess that depends on how you, how you define your package. If your package is just nothing but a loose, a loose container where you just stick stuff in and throw it in, then maybe. But if you treat packages as, as an API and you have some kind of interface into that API, then you have a better shot at reducing your dependency. Yeah. Again, this is one of those things that, like, having this, these tools, okay, now I can go build against that type of, that type of tooling, that type of technology. Mm-hmm. But I can't take all these orgs that have, again, 100, 200, 500,000 lines of code. It there's, ta- there's no it, way to it back would, into it this, It would is take there? at least a year. Yeah. At least a year of a, with a team of like a half a dozen, dozen developers to refactor that into. And of course, you can't refactor on Salesforce. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, a, a Greenfield project, sure. I mean, maybe that's something we could look at, at using and, and maybe it would help, a, helps deployment a little bit or something. You know? Yeah. But... This is all goes back to the, my answer, which is I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about unlocked packages or how that's different than what I've been doing in the past. So I don't just, know. At, at, the, at this point, I think it's so early. I don't know that there is much of a difference, and I'm not even sure how how much the version control system plays into it because it's completely version control agnostic. So it's not like it can go. I. It's not like Salesforce goes. DX is built on GitHub or Git. I'm sorry, and we know Git, so that means we can read the version <laughs> tree and we Git. <laughs> Get, get it, get her done. <laughs> Your southern coming out. See, I, see, I like when the, I like when the southern John comes out. Uh, <laughs> sounds wrong. <laughs> Little John comes out. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not it's not like it can help you and read the tree and read all all the statements and go, okay, I have a good idea of how to build this package for you to make it work with Salesforce. It, it's you're still it's still dependent on you to do it. it it's just it's just you're getting different tools to be able to do it yeah. with. But you still I, have the same problems. Some, the same problems still exist. Yeah. Just having proper architecture. And then the other problem is because there's no refactoring or proper refactoring. It's just incredibly difficult to refactor, right? Yeah. Taking an existing million-line code base, if that's even possible, to have on Salesforce, um, how do you back into that? I don't know. How do you take Financial Force and put it on DX? Um, well, they, they're they're so abstracted. They uh, might have a way they around. They might. It. I mean, yeah. yeah. Who knows? Um, and the question is, what what benefit? I mean, is it that much of a benefit? I mean, I've you know, if you look at again over the past ten years, since that's about how long we've had things like Apex and Visual Force, right? Um, I mean, the the progress, the advancement of these this technology has improved at like you know kind of glacial speeds compared to. I mean, I look at what's what's happened in other programming languages and deployment technologies and everything and cloud technologies. It's just maybe the answer is we don't we don't build stuff. I mean, (laughs) I mean, really working in Salesforce today is is remarkably similar to the way it was ten years ago. I mean, not much has changed. 
Not I don't know. I, I just wonder if maybe maybe the future of cloud isn't being able to write code in the cloud, but to have much better point and clicky tools. And that's what's going to make cloud work. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think that works for certain types of orgs. But you definitely build up a, I mean, not that you don't build up technical debt with code. You certainly. I mean, think, can, think of but, a world where Apex never existed and everything was through, through, the, through the API. Okay. Imagine all the value add stuff we'd have on Heroku or AWS because that's just the norm. And right so now, that's not the norm. So, right now, it's an you, extra expense, and we got to do this. And, and you're saying that stuff would come in just through APIs, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, Imagine how much yeah. better both worlds would be if that was the norm. But because they came out with Apex, and because we've done so much on Apex. Well, the benefit of Apex is it's on platform, so you can operate within transactions. But you could do that. You could still do that with an API. Not really. I mean, like historic. And there's newer stuff you can do, especially with like the composite API. That well, the no. Hold on. API hold on. Has. But let's say so Apex original inception of being no. a a database procedural language, a store procedure, if it was just limited to that, had no other frills, you basically got a, a, a trigger and a place to write your script. So purely just like database right. stuff. Yeah, okay. So that solves that problem. Yeah. But then everything else, anything else you want to do is through the API. Well we yeah, that's true. Well, but I'm, that's not what we were sold. No. We were sold on build it, dream it, all on the platform. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you're selling to you know, VPs of sales and CMOs, it sounds good. They don't know any better. And I guess at the time, I mean... And you just, you, you know, you get in the right quadrants and, and you know, support the right journalists and all that stuff. And you get, you know, and, and have just, have literally the, I mean, be the most intense selling company that there probably is. And you just sell it hard, man. Push it through, sell it hard. Yeah, have the biggest, I mean, I have tr- the biggest parties. I, I tr- have, have the best bands. Have the biggest bo- boats. Poop boats. That's how you do it. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I don't know much more I could say about that. I could continue to speculate, but um, let's let's wrap this up. Let's talk about um, the poop patrol. Poop patrol. <laughs> I, <laughs> have you ever seen Paw uh, Patrol? Any, I was gonna say any parent knows exactly what you're just yeah, saying. Okay. There. Uh, because uh, the only way I can tolerate some of these shows is I would make fun of them and I would change words and I'd yeah. annoy my kids by changing the words and they go, that's not it. And yeah. this and that. And so, yeah, I used to sing poop patrol Poop patrol. And then I saw poop patrol. I was like, poop patrol. Whenever there is trouble. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, good news for you guys heading to Dreamforce. Uh, your streets might be a little cleaner. Well, yeah. So, I mean, so we had the poop map we saw, saw the poop map and I, it, it's probably a good idea that you go ahead and get that. Yeah. Um, but now there's, you know, the poop map should be a little bit, a little bit uh, sparse. Yeah, smart, yeah, more sparse because they're they're forming a poop patrol to keep the sidebox clean. I thought I, I read the article and I thought it was funny that that but, they tried to downplay the poop as it being oh it's mostly dogs. No, it's not. Yeah, no, it's not. So they're saying that they're going to have five um, five employees that will begin patrolling. Oh, this is alleys around Polk Street and other hot spots in a vehicle. A specially designed vehicle that's equipped with a steam cleaner. That's awesome, actually. So now you have, not only do you have poop, but you have steaming poop. Oh, but now we got aerosol poop. Exactly. Oh, they put it into the air. Oh, no, I didn't think that through. This is not good. Poop poop particles (laughs) in your lungs. Oh. Oh. (laughs) All right. If if, if you see someone cleaning the sidewalk, turn around. Run. Because you'll be breathing it in. And run like, run, don't run down, downwind either. I did not think about that. Darn you. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, this is, this is good advice. You only, you only find this kind of advice on the Good Day Sir <laughs> podcast. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, but no, yeah, yeah, it, it's something. But I, I just, they're I just also think- putting uh, five million dollars to add five additional pit stops. Now, pit stop is this is capital. It's like a proper term. So this must be some official. I've never seen a pit stop, but I guess there are these. Uh, they have them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you gonna have five new ones uh, that are like some kind of public toilet thing. They are, but my understanding and they're is they expand they, their hours. Apparently, these, yeah. these pit stops had hours. You yeah. know, they, it gets dark outside, and you know the the poop the the, the pit stop closes. People are more likely to poop in the dark in, on the sidewalk than they are during the That's day. That's true. I know. Yeah. So it seemed odd. The hours should be flipped. Like right. they should be. They should be running all and night. There are currently twenty-two pit stops around the city. Crazy. I guess one issue with a pit stop. I'm not sure what they look like. I'm sure they're just border potties, but I mean, someone could camp out in it over the night, or it could be a security risk. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I also think it's weird that all these tech companies convince the city to like take out all the porta potties. Well, now there's poop on the street. Mm-hmm. Now we got the poop patrol. Can I say into that? <laughs> <clears throat> well, there's one other thing, which was uh, the, this is my other thing. The, the transit center's been on this because I guess it, it yeah. or whatever it's called. Uh, well, actually, we have multiple names. Uh, let's see, names. So it might be called the Salesforce Transit Center. That's what Salesforce would want it to be called. Although I really think it is the Salesforce <sighs> Transit Center. Uh, see, I read I read some detail on this. What Salesforce actually bought the naming rights to. And it's not the the whole the transit center. They don't have the naming rights to that. That's still the like the shit. Was it the it's the, the park the Transbay Terminal? They have the they have the rights to the park. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, I mean that's at the top. The top level has yep. uh, yeah. They have the naming rights, but to the, the park whole thing twenty five years that they spent one hundred ten million dollars on. Well, yeah. So they'll have they they're going to pay like four million bucks a year, right? For the for, that's for the naming rights, basically the, to the building and maybe the park too. I think it's just the I'm park. Sure. What? I think that includes the building. The tower? You know, the tower's right there. Yeah, but no. No, I think the naming rights, they're paying for the park naming rights. And the tower. And they the don't tower? own the tower, John. No, I know that, okay. but this, that's, not, that's not the same price, is it? The $4 million is the naming rights to the tower and the, and the park. And the park. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I thought it was two separate transactions. But the problem is this Transbay Tower, because, you know, it's a great, giant government project. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they depended on the fact they were going to have, the, like, the high-speed train and everything. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's, you know, Not like, happening. that's, like, decades away if it ever happens. And so they counted all that revenue, so they're having a major revenue shortfall. I mean, this thing is, I mean, it, it's just... I read that. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, it's a big problem. So, they're, I mean, they're, they're going to be forced to, like, all the tolls on the bridges, those, all those tolls are going to go up. Yep. Um, what else? Well, what the, the, the cost of securing and cleaning that whole area... Yeah, well, just just to run it, basically, just to keep the yeah. lights on, twenty five million dollars a year is the cost. Yeah, yeah, it was supposed to be called the uh, Grand Central Station of the West, con- connecting buses, BART, Caltrain, and high speed rail. But so, you know, people are calling it the two. It's a two, it's currently it's a two billion dollar bus stop with a green roof. <laughs> it's weird because I was I actually got in the the, the the San Francisco Reddit, and I'm reading all these you know the locals what they're saying about, it, and some people are like, oh, it's great, and some people are saying that. That's actually really crappy, and like they used really like their finish out materials and everything are not good. And really, yeah, totally mixed mixed review. I mean, I guess that's normal mixed reviews on things. Hmm. But they're yeah that it needs so for every passenger, every unique passenger that comes in and out of that bus stop over a year, it's approximately a thirteen hundred and thirty three dollar per year per one of those passengers subsidy required to pay for that annual ongoing cost of that transit center. 
That didn't seem like a good trade. I mean, that's like, it's, it's just, it makes no sense. But anyway, this is, you know, San Francisco just adding to their, their problems. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a, that's a big, this is a big problem. There's no yeah. great solution to this right now. No, because I don't, I mean, there's no trains that go into there. Not, not just the high speed, like no trains, apparently. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh-huh. It's, it's a big, a big, fancy, multi-story thing with a, with it's a, supposed with to have a like a mall and everything in it and everything. But. Mall's dead. Mall's empty. It hadn't been built. There's no, yeah. there's no tenants. No one wants, no one wants to open up in there. I don't know why. I guess because there's not, not, not enough traffic because there's the trains yeah. aren't there. Yeah. I guess the bus stops aren't enough. And I'm sure the rent would be high because of the, the shortage. Yeah. So. Anyways, yeah. Uh, I wish it the best. I hope it does well. I hope they turn it around. It looked nice, at least from the pictures I yeah, saw. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds like they've got to get trains in there. I just, it sounds like it's, that's just not going to happen for like a minimum 10 years. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I wonder, well, I'm guaranteed they've gone to sit back to Salesforce and said, hey, can you, uh, you know, up your, up your annual thing <laughs> a little bit? We'll let you name some more places. Yeah. But one of the things was I was reading that um, other than the Salesforce Park, the whole rest of it, you know, Salesforce doesn't have naming rights to it. And they, they were not even willing to sell naming rights to it because they wanted it to be neutral. So that, because I guess it's one of these things, I, I guess it's like there's, you know, it's a big venue. So you can have, you know, all kinds of companies can have events there and book the whole thing up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they don't want anyone to have naming rights to it so that it's, so that it remains neutral and it's not, you know what I mean? It's like, that wouldn't discourage people from wanting to rent it out because it's like owned by Salesforce or whatever. Mm. Which is why I think the official name is, it's either SF Transit Center or the Transbay Terminal. It's not, it's not the Salesforce Transit Center. Mm. But it's weird because this is great. Because like, like, apparently like on the, I saw photos of this, like on the buses, it says SF Transit Center. That's San Francisco. Or is it Salesforce? <laughs> I mean, it's it's not. It doesn't stand for Salesforce, but Salesforce benefits from the fact that when you look at that, it, it's like it, it seems like it's the Salesforce yeah. Transit Center. I mean, that's where Salesforce is, and <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, well, John, yeah, we blew this one out. Yeah, almost two hours. Yep, and that beer is ready to. That beer I rented is ready, ready to be <laughs> yeah, paid it's, out. So. It's, it's leases up. It's leases up. <laughs> All right, uh-huh. man. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.